0: Welcome to the TSO Podcast. I'm Kathleen Kajioka from the New Classical FM.
1: That was another inspiration, of course, for John, because in a way, she represented the strong, contemporary woman, fearless, powerful in expression...
0: That's TSO music director Peter Ungen. You'll hear from him later in the show. But first, there are a long list of reasons why Brahms' Symphony No. 4 is such a masterpiece, and among them is the use of the pasicalia in the final movement. It was unusual for Brahms to use the 17th century form in a symphony, but he had his reasons. TSO principal bass Jeff Beecher is here to explain.
2: So my understanding is that pasicalia actually started as a dance in 17th century Spain. And like other dances, Sarabande, for example, mm-hmm. in, in that time period, it was a bit provocative. A um, hundred years later, it starts to become actually a musical form where its primary uh, function and feature is a ground bass. Not ground pepper, but a ground bass, mm-hmm. um, meaning that there is a bass line that continues in perpetuity, repeating, giving some form for a composer to put variation on top of that bass.
0: So my experience with Passacaglia, you know, playing a lot of 17th century, 18th century music, I've encountered a lot of them. And they do usually tend to be pretty mournful pieces. Definitely a dance like the very end of a Lully opera, a tragic opera might end with a Passacaglia. So how do we get from that all the way up to the 19th century and Brahms in a symphonic form.
2: Absolutely. So Brahms, in his first three symphonies, he has sort of the grand heroic first symphony and the pastoral second symphony and this beautiful miniature third symphony. And in the fourth, it's pretty pessimistic, actually. And I think a lot of people interpret it as Brahms lamenting the uh, decline of the Austro-Hungarian middle class. And what he's doing with this Passacaglia is actually quoting Bach Cantata, Bach Cantata's number 150. Um, And in in using both the Passacaglia form, which is sort of a uh, well-established, something for the listener's ear to grab onto, he also is using this very potent piece within the Austro-German culture to make a real biting statement about the current state of affairs.
0: Okay, so we're going to have a listen now to this fourth movement from Brahms Symphony Number no. 4, and you can hear that whole hypnotic aspect of this ground bass, the repeated bass line that is such a powerful part of this kind of music. Music director Peter Unjin will be at the podium this week. He's leading Brahms' Symphony No. 4 and the Canadian premiere of John Adams' Scheherazade.2. Peter joins us on the phone now to tell you about the concert. Peter, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Kathleen.
0: Tell us a bit about Scheherazade 2. What is this?
1: Well, John Adams, who is, um, in my view, one of the truly great geniuses uh, in the world of composition, um, seems to have been inspired by a visit he took to the Museum of Arab Culture in Paris a few years ago, in which they were dedicating the museum at that point to um, the, kind of the history of the Arabian Nights, uh, including particularly Shahrazad, the famous figure who saved her life when she was married to this tyrannical, a uh, husband who was vengeful and hated all women, so would actually uh, kill every single one of his brides. He apparently would marry a bride, any each day uh, would then kill that bride following their first night.
0: Where was, was Dr. Charming, Freud when you need him? Charming
1: story, yeah. <laughs> um, but in any case, he was sort of intrigued by the whole thing, and everybody knows Charizard from Rinsky Um But he then, when he got home, apparently read Arabian Nights, um, and he was fascinated by just how dark a story it was and how intense and how brutally all of the women in these tales, because Scheherazade's trick was to tell the sultan these magical stories, to spin these tales that fascinated him so much that she was clever enough never to finish the story, so he would spare her because he wanted to hear the end of the story. And the second day she finished the story and started a new one, but never finished it. And this went on for many, many months until he finally realized he was in love with her. That was the, the t- sort of dark romance of the story originally. But I think that John felt that this was a, such a multi-layered subject um, and perhaps not entirely irrelevant to what you know we're observing in various societies today that he was very inspired by it. And he's written an epic dramatic symphony, which is actually longer even than, than the Rumsky-Korsakoff.
0: So how does this story work its way through the four movements of the score that John Adams has written?
1: Well, uh, of course, there is, a, there is a love scene. The second movement is dedicated to a love scene, but it's quite violent and disturbing um, and then becomes sort of mysterious and, and, and tender. Um, but he opens the score with a, with a very evocative music, which kind of t- is supposed to set the scene in a way. I think it's the, the tale of the wise young woman um, followed by the pursuit by the true believers. So that's kind of the first movement. And the whole piece is played more or less without interruption, actually. And then then you get the depiction of the men with the beards uh, in the third movement, which is highly dramatic. So th- this is a really... Um, incredibly exciting uh, experience for us because, uh, you know, the piece is only probably a year old at this point.
0: Right, so this is the Canadian premiere.
1: It certainly is, yeah.
0: And there's a violin solo involved in this, is there
1: not? Oh, yes, absolutely, by the great Canadian violinist Lila Josefowitz, who is um, absolutely brilliant, um, incredibly expressive. And that was another inspiration, of course, for John because in a way... She represented the strong, contemporary woman, fearless, powerful in expression, and so on. And so I think that was an added inspiration for him to write this piece, specifically for Leela, with whom uh, he has worked for many, many years now.
0: So is she basically playing the role of Scheherazade? Is it that direct?
1: Oh, yes, I would say essentially, absolutely. And, um, and the, the final movement, by the way, once you've had the depiction of the men with beards, the final movement is, is called Escape Flight. Sanctuary. So uh, he leaves it up to our imagination to figure out exactly what that would represent. Um, but it, it does. It does end with that feeling of, of, of liberty and and freedom. And it, the piece is so powerful. I mean, we're doing it on a program with with Beethoven Egmont Overture and um, and Brahms Fourth Symphony. You know, two masterpieces of the classical and and romantic era uh, from from Vienna. Um, But I've decided to actually place the Sherazard II in the second half of the program because it's hugely dramatic. It has wonderful colors, um, much bigger orchestra, much more use of percussion, um, celeste, harps. And chimbalum, which is a very unusual instrument to hear, but gives that sort of Eastern twang to the colour of the music and the atmosphere of the music.
0: Well, it sounds like a night not to be missed, for sure. I would say. Thank you so much for telling us all about it, Peter. You're so welcome. That brings us to the end of this week's TSO podcast. Don't forget, you can be in touch with the TSO at any time. Send an email to community at tso.ca or leave a note on our Facebook or Twitter pages. For more music and stories from the Toronto Symphony Orchestra, join us on Sunday night with the TSO. That's every Sunday at 8pm on the new Classical FM. I'm Kathleen Kajioka. Join us next Monday for another episode of the TSO Podcast.